0: From the Center
1: for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, you're listening to Going Forth. I'm Meredith Benjamin. And I'm Nicholas Lampietti. If you're a long time Going Forth listener, long time, of course, meaning since February, you may recall that one of our very first episodes featured MJ Schroyer, director of the health professions career community here at the CLS, who offered wisdom on getting into grad school in the health industries. Today. We expand on this topic by introducing you to Dr. Allison Nair. Allison is a pediatric intensivist in San Francisco whose research and clinical work is focused on caring for critically ill children. Meredith and Allison discuss the emotional labor of patient care, finding work-life balance, and the
0: famously long path to becoming a doctor.
1: Allison is endlessly wise, thoughtful, and compassionate. And even if you aren't planning on going into medical school, there's something in this episode for you. Stay with us so hi Allison thank you so much for being here I'm so excited to talk to you
0: thanks for having me I'm really honored to be here
1: can you start by just telling us who you are and what you do
0: I'm a pediatric intensivist, which means that I take care of sick kids in the ICU. When I'm not working in the hospital, I am a physician scientist. So I am a researcher that's interested in abnormal bleeding and clotting in critically ill children. I also do some teaching. Currently work at the University of California in San Francisco. So I'm a Midwesterner in my heart. I grew up in Iowa City and then obviously went to Grinnell, but now I'm kind of a California transplant. I guess the last thing to add is that I'm a relatively new mom. I have a 16-month-old son uh, and just a really loving partner and and father to my son. And so I'm also very sort of family-focused at this moment in time.
1: Oh, that's exciting. Congratulations on your Mm -hmm. relative newborn.
0: Uh, (laughs) Feels pretty new, uh, still, even though he's over a year.
1: (laughs) Well, wonderful. So I'm wondering what motivated you to pursue medicine and science in the way that you have?
0: You know, for me, I was not one of those people who you know, knew that I wanted to be a doctor from a young age. I have just sort of gone along and sort of followed my interests and just, you know, at critical points made the best decision that I could. When I was little, I always really loved science. My dad is a researcher and my mom is a science teacher. Uh, So I really grew up with science kind of in the ether uh, as a child. Going into high school and into college, I also knew that I wanted service to be a part of my profession. And so medicine is Obviously, sort of a common path for people with these two interests. I took some time uh, after college before going into medical school, and the decision to go into medical school was really solidified when I was working at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in that time, kind of in between college and med school. At that point, I got a chance to work with a lot of amazing people, but in particular, a lot of amazing physicians. And these physicians were doing non-clinical work. And it really opened me up to the broadness of medicine as a career. With an MD degree, you can really do a lot of different things. You can work in a hospital, you can work in a clinic, you can work doing advocacy, you can do education, you can do epidemiology, you can do a little bit of everything. And I really wanted that flexibility. I didn't really know where it would lead me it means that if at some point I want to sort of shift what I'm doing, I have a lot of opportunities to do that.
1: So you mentioned that you worked for the Center for Disease Control, which, you know, I think it can often be a pretty linear path for people who know that they want to go into medicine, they go straight from college, in our case Grinnell, into medical school applications, into medical school, into residency, boom, they're a doctor. But You know, it sounds like that's not what your path looked like. So I really, I'm very curious both what your time looked like at Grinnell and then that transition from Grinnell, you know, in those immediate years.
0: From an academic standpoint, I I guess I was interested in science. I ended up um, majoring in chemistry, but I also was interested in religious studies. And so actually ended up being a double major in those two disciplines. I also had a lot of fun, I guess, <laughs> at Grinnell. I was a runner and involved in cross-country and track. And, you know, many of my closest friends are actually runners that I met at Grinnell. So that was pretty great. At my time at Grinnell, I was really just sort of following my interests and I wasn't really on this sort of intense path to become a doctor and really sort of move forward. And so when I got done with Grinnell, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I worked as a volunteer English teacher in Nepal, and that was a great experience. Um, I was grateful for the experience, maybe more accurately. It was really challenging. Um, I learned a lot. I learned I probably wasn't quite cut out to do international work. So I came back and I still didn't really know what the future held. So I got a job at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was a really nice fit because I was sort of interested in science and sort of interested in pursuing what I could do in the field of science. I worked for a group there that focused on neural tube defects, which are a fetal abnormality that affects the brain and, and or the spine. They were just really wonderful and sort of helped me cultivate myself as a professional. Sort of then, like I said, I, I met these really amazing physicians, and that's sort of how it solidified for me, uh, but it definitely was not a linear path.
1: Well, so that brings me to, we think of med school as incredibly intense and people have to be really committed to it, which I'm sure that's true once you're in it, but especially from somebody who wasn't dead set on medical school from the get-go. I guess, is med school really as hard as it seems? And if so, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is intimidated by the idea of that intensity for that
0: duration? I guess I would say medical school is hard, but I would look at that as a positive thing. If you're interested in medicine, every step along the way is harder and more intense than the last. Medical school is harder than being in college and being in residency is harder than being in medical school and ultimately doing more advanced training and and being attending is harder than being in residency. But at least for me, and I, I think this will resonate with many people, I want a career that pushes me and challenges me. And so being challenged at all of those different points along the way, I think is a real sort of strength of the career path most people when they go into medical school find it challenging but manageable. The structure of medical school is the first two years are really developing your fund of knowledge and it's a lot of book learning and lectures and small groups and all things that you've done in college. There's a lot of new information coming at you and it's a little bit more sort of independent. There are sort of like less guardrails around it but it's all things that people going from a wonderful place like Grinnell will be ready to tackle. It's all challenging but I think along the way you're prepared to be able to move forward in it. Hmm.
1: Your wonderful context made me realize that, and maybe it's just because I'm not pre-med, but I don't feel like I have a perfect understanding of what the progression actually is in a medical career. You know, it's med school, at some point it's residency, at some point you're an attending, but what are the steps and at what point do they diverge and you can go down different paths with the same education?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And actually something I will say was that was not totally clear to me until I was like in the middle of it. So first you start off with college and there are certain prerequisites that you have to have to go into medical school. There's an application process to get into medical school, which includes taking the MCAT, which is a test to sort of evaluate your baseline scientific knowledge. And you get kind of through all of that, which is a challenge in and of itself. Medical school is a four-year school. It varies depending on where you go to school, but in general, the first two years are these preclinical years where you're doing lectures, small groups, some lab time, but it's all outside of the hospital. There's usually kind of like a transition period going from your second to third year where you uh, start to learn some of the clinical skills. So you learn the physical exam, for example. You might learn some special skills around how to interact with patients and how to take a history. And then you go into the hospital for the second sort of set of two years and you work alongside the clinical team. So the clinical team typically includes residents, fellows, and then the supervising doctor or attending. But you're sort of really working alongside those people and learning what it's like to actually be a practicing physician. At the end of medical school, you'll get your MD degree. And from there, most people go into a residency program. To actually practice clinical medicine, you have to go through a residency program and complete a residency program. Rarely people will go through medical school, decide they don't want to do clinical medicine and do something else like research, or they might do policy. And they'll use the skills that they've learned as part of that career, but they can't actually practice clinical medicine unless they've done a, a residency residency, uh, you go into a, a specialty field in residency. So for me, it was pediatrics. That training time varies a lot. For pediatrics, it's three years. For surgery, it's like between seven and nine years, depending on the program you go to. So there's a lot of variation in the timing of that. The life of that is that you're just working very intensely in the hospital all the time as a frontline provider taking care of patients, but you're still in training. And so you have a supervising physician or an attending physician who sort of supervises what you're doing. After you finish residency, you can either go into general practice in that field, like for me, I could have been a general pediatrician, or you can do additional specialty training. So for me, I did specialty training in pediatric intensive care, and that's a fellowship program that for me was a fellowship program, and it was an additional three years plus an extra research year. And then after finishing all of that, that's how I ended up as a pediatric intensivist. So lots of steps along the way, lots of school, lots of training.
1: That was a beautifully comprehensive answer. I mean, just in the what, 60 seconds, two minutes, whatever it was that you just spent on that, I really have such a clearer view of the industry. But I want to pull at something that you said, which was the idea of specialties. My understanding is that in medical school or in residency, you tend to get some amount of experience with each specialty. And I'm wondering kind of what people should consider when they're deciding if it is typically pretty obvious what you're suited for, or if it really requires a lot of ruminating on the different areas within medicine. And just, I I would be really interested to hear about your story and how you decided that pediatrics was the place for
0: you. There's a few different ways in medical school that you get to experience with specialties. In the first two years, you're doing sort of coursework that will expose you to sort of some of the science behind different specialties. There's also typically shadowing opportunities. So like if you're interested in plastic surgery, say you might get a chance to spend a day with somebody who's a plastic surgeon and, and learn a little bit about what their life is like. The second two years are clinical, so people rotate through different specialties. There's a core set of specialties that everyone rotates through, things like medicine, pediatrics, surgery, that kind of thing. But then there's also some elective times. You know, you'll do your surgery rotation, but maybe within surgery you're really interested in doing orthopedic surgery. Then you can actually set up elective time to do a rotation specifically in that subspecialty. In medical school, there is typically time for research or scholarly work. And that's also a really nice time to be able to work with somebody who might be in a specialty of your interest to see what their life is like outside of the clinical part of what they do. That's sort of a few different ways that you can actually have a chance to engage with the specialties. I'd say it's not obvious for people. I think most people who go into medical school with a specific idea of what they want to do probably change it a few times. When I was in medical school, I knew I liked all the rotations where I got to work with kids. So I liked the pediatrics rotation. I liked when I did pediatric surgery. I liked when I did pediatric ortho. I liked when I did pediatric anesthesia. So I (laughs) ultimately thought that pediatrics was the sort of right choice. And then to be honest, when I was in residency, residency, you actually also rotate through different specialties. So you'll do like general pediatrics. When I was going through the general pediatrics residency, I didn't actually love a lot of the rotations that I did except for my pediatrics pediatric ICU rotation and my pediatric anesthesia rotation in residency. So from there, it was sort of pretty obvious that that was the path that I wanted to, to go down, but certainly not obvious from the beginning.
1: You know, it's, it's so interesting to hear you say that you loved your pediatric ICU experience, because to me, you know, that sounds... Really stressful. (laughs) That sounds really, really stressful. And I guess it it brings me to a question that I've kind of always wondered, which is just how do you protect your heart when you're a doctor and how do you cope with the responsibilities of holding people's lives in your hands? I guess I would just be curious to hear what the emotional experience of this work is, because I do feel like that is something important that people should probably consider when they're thinking about medicine. And I can imagine that, particularly lately, It's got to be challenging. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And certainly the pediatric ICU is a particularly challenging place from that perspective and not right for everybody. I view that, you know, the responsibility for taking care of patients and the sort of emotional burden as really the heart of the job, right? Taking care of the sickest kids. I'm at an academic hospital where we're taking care of patients who may have rare conditions, patients who have, you know, complex conditions, and we're really operating on the edge of what is scientifically known. And when you get to that edge, the job is so much more about being with patients and being with families and, you know, just really sitting with them in these moments that are really horrible and really some of the most challenging times in their lives. And in small ways, sort of trying to ease that. And some of that is, you know, shouldering some of the emotional burden for them. A lot of times my interactions with patients and their families, there's a lot of gratitude and a lot of love. And it's humbling and incredible that patients can have that sort of insight in these moments. (laughs) But sometimes it's all different kinds of emotions. Sometimes it's, you know, anger or frustration or grief. You know, you have to be sort of ready to shoulder all of those different things.
1: I can imagine that in the stress of the situations and in the really emotionally charged situations that patients will find themselves in, that there, as always in life, can be moments of real beauty. Oh, for
0: sure. I mean, it's the best part of the job for me is just, you know, the privilege of working with these patients and their families. And there is a lot of beauty. I mean, there's just, there's such a special and beautiful relationship between a parent and a child or a caregiver and a child. And I just learn so much from patients and families in terms of. Of bravery, resilience, gratitude, humility, love, all of these things. And I learn sort of different aspects of that with pretty much every family that I interact with. So there's a ton of beauty and it's really a special place to work. And I feel very lucky and I feel a lot of gratitude.
1: Well, I guess this is as good as any of a segue into a question that I'm sure you don't want to think about, but I think is worth asking, which is just about the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic. It is and has been for far too long now a really stressful time for anybody who works in healthcare. There's more loss than people are used to seeing even in the medical field. And I guess I am hoping that you can speak to how the pandemic might have changed your job or the jobs of your colleagues. And then, you know, broadly how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the industry
0: over these past several years. That's a great question. I think we're still learning how things are ultimately going to shake out. The pandemic has been really sort of challenging for everybody in healthcare and outside of healthcare. And you know, we've been really lucky in the field of pediatrics because kids just aren't getting as sick from COVID as adults. We certainly had a steady stream of kids who are sick in the ICU with COVID, but it's just been nowhere near the burden that our adult colleagues have seen. So we've been a little bit shielded from some of that. I can say the pandemic has made me grateful in in certain ways. Job security is something that I didn't have to worry about, but I know that a lot of people did. And I actually have been very grateful to be able to come into work because I know a lot of people, especially early on, were feeling really isolated and kind of working from home and not around other people. I got to go in and, you know, see my colleagues who I really love and, you know, who are really sort of big supports for me. And so that I was very grateful for as well. There's definitely been this like sort of baseline stress that we've all felt. There's so much unknown with the pandemic early on, certainly. And even now, even though we know more about COVID itself, you never sort of know when the next spike is going to be and how that's going to impact your patients. We're sort of also dealing with staffing shortages, which is something that I think people are dealing with beyond healthcare as well. But a lot of people are having to sort of fill in and doing more work than they have in the past. It's been personally interesting for me because I was either pregnant or having a young child at home during the entirety of this pandemic. It really did bring into focus the sort of personal risk that you take on as a frontline healthcare provider. I think for me and my colleagues, there's still this just baseline stress that's sort of ruminating in the background.
1: Do you think that the healthcare system is more prepared now for medical emergencies on a mass scale than it was? Or do you think that the pandemic has crippled some of the systems that kept hospitals really prepared for emergencies like this? That's a great
0: question. I mean, I think a little bit of both. People did really a lot of work early on in the pandemic to sort of prepare things and keep everybody safe. I was actually really proud of a lot of the work that my colleagues did at UCSF, sort of around getting us sort of ready as patients were starting to come in with COVID. But I think now that people are feeling the sort of chronic stress of everything, we may be a little bit less prepared. We certainly have a less of an emotional reserve.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that brings me to, I think, a really important question, which is just the idea of work-life balance. The closest experience I have with the day-to-day lives of, you know, medical professionals comes mostly from television shows, which I know is nowhere near the reality. But I am hoping that you could maybe walk us through a day in the life of yourself and maybe the average, if there is one day in the life of a doctor with the on-call schedules and with the idea that if somebody's in surgery and it's just taking a really long time, You got to stay there. You you can't just be like, oh, you know, my day is over. Uh, It's time for me to clock out. In the way that you might be able to in a different industry. And so, I'm wondering how people might be able to create time for themselves and for things that matter to them outside of their work in a hospital. I know you said family is hugely important to you. And so, how might people find a balance?
0: That's a really great question and a really important question. I have a lot of variety in what I spend my days doing. When I'm on clinical service and working in the hospital, I'm there sort of during the day, usually about like a 11-ish hour day. I work on a team. So it's myself and residents and fellows, as well as a lot of really excellent other staff. So nurses, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, nutritionists, and other consulting physicians. So people who might be experts in infectious disease, for example. Uh, And so we all sort of work together to take care of our patients. The morning is typically kind of what we call rounds, which is when you sort of get together as a team and walk around and look at how the patients are doing and make plans for the day. The afternoons are typically kind of moving plans forward for patients, maybe admissions, although admissions in the ICU can come in really at any time. And then family meetings and sort of spending time with families and, and talking through plans and where patients are at. When I'm not on clinical service, I am really focused on doing research. That can be a lot of different things. So it could be, you know, in the lab running an experiment, it could be analyzing some data, uh, it could be writing a grant, writing a manuscript. I do some teaching activities. So I, sometimes I'm teaching a class or a course or, you know, leading a workshop. So the days that I'm not doing my clinical work are actually pretty varied as well. And then I do take call in the ICU. So once every week to every two weeks, I'm on call overnight. So for those days I go in, In the evening, kind of walk around and see patients, and I stay in the hospital overnight. I'm done in the morning, and then go back to doing research or whatever the plans are for the day. So, kind of a varied schedule, but a pretty full schedule, I would say. Life is full, life is busy, and you know we're constantly making decisions about how we prioritize what we do, and that's a very personal decision. The field of medicine is really broad, and I think there's a lot of opportunity within medicine to find a career path. That actually works with what your idea of a balance of work and life is. So the balance is going to be different depending on your career path. So for me, I work at an academic institution. I have a job as a clinician I have a job as a researcher. I'm on call. I've really chosen for most of my life to be work focused. That career path works for me, but it might not be the right career path for someone who has a lot of ambitions outside of work. In trying to find work-life balance, it's being smart about the career path you choose instead of trying to force something that's more work-heavy to be less work-heavy. And the other thing to sort of add to that is even though my life has been really work-heavy, there have been times in my career that I've had the opportunity to make things a little bit less work-heavy. So for example, when I finished residency, I had a year between residency and fellowship. And during that time, I worked as a general pediatrician, but I took the time to actually not work that hard and I spent two months in Greece rock climbing and not working at all and I just sort of took advantage of that time to do something that was fun and an interest of mine outside of work so there are times in your career where you can actually you know take a little space from work and do things that are fun
1: well that's amazing that sounds like a dream it was a dream
0: it was great (laughs) maybe sometime I'll be able to do it again with my son that'd be awesome
1: So a completely unrelated question that I have, unrelated to the idea of work-life balance, but something that I've really wondered, particularly (laughs) over the pandemic, is you mentioned that being a doctor is ultimately a service job. And I am really impressed and I completely commend doctors' abilities to put their patients first and to keep things professional, keep things from becoming personal um, when you are doing work as emotionally charged and as important as the work that healthcare workers do. And I really am so curious what the experience is like if you get a patient or if you get, in your case, probably the guardians of a patient who are combative or who are not interested in the advice of you know medical experts, or who in, you know in the case of the pandemic, who didn't believe maybe that COVID existed and then got it and ended up in the emergency room. I don't know if that's something that you've experienced, but I'm sure that it is something that healthcare workers have experienced in the past couple of years, at least once or twice. And I just what is that experience like of having to put the needs of the patient first, and and I guess making decisions when the needs of the patient, the medical needs of the patient, and the personal wishes of the patient might not align?
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a, that's a really great question. There's an added layer to it because we're taking care of kids, but you know a lot of the decision making goes through their guardians. You're not working directly with the patient themselves a lot of times. You know, I I think when patients and families are emotional, for the most part, it's because they're under so much stress. The best thing that we can do in those situations is really not take it personally, try to be empathetic to the fact that, you know, this is an extremely terrible, I mean, it's just unimaginable to have a kid that's sick in the ICU. People are just going through this really horrible moment in their lives. And people respond to that in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times you're seeing what's happening with like the patient and what's happening in the hospital room, but there may be tons of other factors that are going on outside that you don't even No. I think the best thing you can do is just any sort of intense emotion like that. It's just meet it with empathy and with love and humility and understanding and really try to sort of meet the patient and their family where they're at.
1: I think it definitely does also take a special type of person to be willing to meet people with that empathy and to put other people's needs above their own, which is, it sounds like in a lot of cases, what is required. So it just makes me wonder, I think a great question is always, who is not a fit for a career in healthcare? And then, you know, what skills and interests are required of people who do want to be successful in your field?
0: You know, I would think of it as certainly not everyone's cut out to be a pediatric intensivist, but I think, you know, healthcare is just, there's a lot you can do within healthcare. It's not so much about there being some sort of core qualities that make people not fit into healthcare. It's more about people being able to be sort of honest with themselves about who they are and what they want out of a professional career, what their interests are, those type of sort of really core questions. And then looking to healthcare and trying to figure out the career path that is really sort of true to all of those aspects of yourself. I think most people, if they're able to sort of answer those questions honestly, will be able to find a path in healthcare if that's their interest.
1: That's a good thing to hear. And yeah, I think that that is, if this was a podcast about medicine or about healthcare, we would be talking to so many different types of people. And I'm sure that everybody has such a different story who works in the field. Every Grinnellian who pursued medicine after they left Grinnell I'm sure has a completely different story and would have totally different perspectives. Um, But given the constraints of this podcast, you are, in a sense, speaking for the field, which is a really tricky position to be in. And so I really appreciate your answers and trying to both offer really helpful insight and also communicate that there are so many different ways to be a doctor and different ways to pursue medicine. Of course, yeah. So I want to return to something that you kind of mentioned earlier when you were talking about just the beauty that can be found in the work that you do. But I always like to hear about what is rewarding to people about what they do
0: and what they love about it. You know, we sort of talked about how patients and families can be challenging. But really, for the most part, the interactions that I have with patients and their families are really they're just really lovely. They're really rewarding. And I'm always just so humbled and impressed by how people are at really these really horrible and challenging moments. I'm really grateful for my colleagues as well. I work with just some of the most smart, loving, compassionate, supportive, all around amazing people. Medicine is really cool because that's actually most of the people that I work with are like that. It's kind of incredible. I think I don't, I don't have experience in other jobs, I guess, to, to speak to it, but I just, I'm, I'm struck by how most of the people I interact with are just really special.
1: That's wonderful. That really is wonderful. It, it always is the people, you know, that, that, that's such a theme. Yeah. I can see that for a lot, like a lot of different careers. Yeah. People matter so much. Mm-hmm. I think that the, more than anything, the pandemic maybe showed that And so there are so many things I want to pick your brain about, but we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. And so a question that I want to leave open to you is, you know, what advice would you give to a Grinnell student? What advice do you wish that somebody had told you when you were a Grinnell student?
0: There's probably a lot of different things that I could say, but I think Being at Grinnell and being in college is just a really special time. You're figuring out who you want to be and what you want to do. And I would just try to embrace that as much as you can. So work hard, enjoy your classes, get as much out of the sort of scholarly work that you're doing pursue other interests, pursue relationships with with friends, and be present in the experience of college and enjoy it. All this sort of career stuff that we're talking about is important. It's important to think about, but it will come with time. It's not something that you need to sort of be perseverating about. Being in college is just such a gift, and if you can be sort of present in the moment of that, you'll get the most out of it. sort of piece of advice that I actually think is still relevant for me is I was in sort of a professional development session and a, a colleague said that she thinks of her interests like a garden. If you think of your interests as seeds, plant a lot of seeds and then cultivate them and water them and let them grow. And you never know what's going to grow and what's not. So you might think something's going to grow and, you know, become tall and become fruitful, but it may not. And something that you may think will grow less well will actually grow and, you know, become a big plant. You might be surprised at what develops and where those interests will take you.
1: I love that, the garden. My advisor at Grinnell, she she talks about life as a backpack. You just want as many pockets on your back back as possible because you never know when you're going to need something and you just want to be able to fit as much in that backpack as possible. So I just, I love these metaphors. And I think that that is such sound advice and advice that really lines up with the advice of all of the wonderful alums that we've spoken to. You're all doing such different things, but a lot of what you say really coheres with one another. And I think it just shows kind of how wise Grinnellians are and how interesting life can be and how the Grinnell connection remains so strong. And yeah, I just think this was such a wonderful conversation. I really appreciated the chance to talk to you. I feel like I understand the medical field so much better now after this relatively short conversation. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you for making the time amidst your busy schedule.
0: I wish you a wonderful, rest of your day. Happy to do this. It's really, it's really nice to speak to you. So thanks for the opportunity.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at goingforthgrinnell.com. Follow us on Instagram at Going Forth Podcast and on Twitter at Going Forth Pod. Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time on Going Forth.